0: Today on The Talent Cast, we talk about chess, Ex- except I'm really bad at chess, and it, well, honestly, it's just a metaphor. It stops after like the first minute, and then we get right to the good stuff, so hold on tight. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to The Talent Cast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment, marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through... What it's going to take for you to be better and employer brand talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy, a little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, if you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at the war for talent or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So that having been said, here's the show. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Yeah, chess. Uh, but before I get to that, some quick housekeeping. Uh, in the show notes, you'll see links to all sorts of wonderful things like uh, my almost done series of webinars about employer branding, one left. Can't wait for the last one. Um, Yeah, that happens in about a week or two, but you can see all of the others I've done, all previous five, with all my amazing guests. I appreciate all of them for spending their time with me. Uh, So I'll put that in the show notes. That'll be there. There may be some other stuff. I don't know, depending on timing. Maybe, maybe not. Otherwise, I'm going to be at ERE this year, apparently, or next year, as the case may be. Um, So I'm super excited about that. I'm super excited about Social Recruiting Strategies Conference in February. So come see me there. Again, the notes, show notes. So anyway... Chess. So everybody loves to use the metaphor for chess when it comes to strategy. Um, I really don't know why because I don't think it's a very valid one. Now, granted, I'm not a very good chess player. Really not. Uh, I, I know how the pieces move. I know how the rules work. But I'm very, very bad at kind of seeing the structures of the board, the structures of the positioning. For whatever reason, it just doesn't really... Click with me, and I would love. I would love to be one of those people who could play chess. That just seems like a cool thing to be able to do. And I am not that guy, but it's an interesting place to start because the thought of chess is that if you use it as a metaphor for strategy, is that you have all these different pieces, and you have a, a, set, a set of constraints that you have x number of pieces, and you have what, like uh, ten or twelve pawns, and you've got a king and a queen, and you've got knights and bishops and rooks and and. Um, Feel like i'm missing a piece but i don't maybe i'm not um you've got all those pieces aligned and the castles right is that the same as a rook i don't remember see not good at this and they all have different movements you know the pawns can move one or two steps forward they attack at an angle uh the knight goes you know two and one is that how i put it in my head you go up two and over one or over one and up two um or over or up one and over two depending um one can only go diagonally. One can only go straight up or straight across. Uh, king goes one at a time in any direction you want, and the queen goes wherever the queen wants to go. Um, you go ahead and watch a, a good episode of the first scenes of The Wire to get a good update on how the chess works, if that <laughs> is necessary to you. But, you know, they use it as the metaphor because you are tasked with all these resources that do different things and are good at different things. The pawns are good at kind of just getting beat up and getting hit and uh, the other plate uh, pieces can be positioned such that they can attack from great distances from out of nowhere and they have different uses and different skill sets. It's kind of, it's an interesting game to play, certainly. And we use it as if to say, this is how you should think about staffing or think about resources, that you have these different pieces and these different elements, and they have different areas of specialty and different sets of skills and different abilities and traits. And you deploy them, and that's a fun word, deploy them in such a way to maximize your output against someone else who, again, in this horrible metaphor that isn't quite true, has a similar set of resources. Now, if you're a company going up against a Google, guess what? You do not have similar sets of resources. Sorry. But you try to pretend that you know chess is strategy and that's what that works. Now, that's all well and good. But there's a, a problem underlying this idea using chess and your resources as a strategy function, and that is very simply a pawn has one set of rules. They can only move forward in one or two at a time, and they can only attack at an angle. And a knight can only go up two and over one, or up one and over two, depending on the direction. Uh, The queen can go in any direction, but they can't go in curves. They can't go like a a knight. They can't go up two and over one. They have to go in straight lines. Uh, The bishops can only go in diagonal lines. They can go in any distance, but they're limited. At no point is the bishop allowed to be a knight. You're not allowed to treat the bishop like a knight. Even if he went to school, or he or she went to school, even if he or she took a class, even if he or she bought a bunch of books on how to move in a certain direction, they can't move like a knight. Pawn, depending on how you play, if the pawn moves all the way to the end of the board, you can become a different piece, and that's part of it. But really, there's no amount of, you know, the, the pieces don't change. You don't suddenly have a piece that goes up and down, meaning it can't fly across the board. It can't go from one corner to the other without hitting things, you know, the knocking things over in its way. There are rules that are applied. And I think that's where the metaphor breaks down for me, because truly, when we hire someone, when we bring in resources, yes, we like to see them as static things. This person is good at analytics. This person is good at coding. This person is good at writing. This person is good at public speaking. This person is mediocre podcast, and I'm pointing at myself. Um. Everybody has different skill sets and yes, you might get promoted to some sort of management position and you might be therefore imbued with new skills. Well, that's never true, is it? It's Peter Principle, right? You never get skills just because you become a manager. You get more responsibility, you get more oversight, you get more accountability hopefully, but you aren't necessarily given skills. However, most of us want our people to grow. Most companies of, of size have a dedicated talent development team or department or person or a package they have to help people become better at something whether it's uh, standardized management training and there are companies that offer company-wide enterprise-wide management support uh, so that every week you get an email saying hey these are some things you should do like some articles on how to be a better manager and some processes they should consider taking but it's really really soft it's really kind of like hey these are things that sometimes help people cool it's not necessarily training now some companies do offer real management training uh, on a number of different companies have uh, codified structured classes for training for management that's great so we assume that if a company is investing in these classes or these offerings they want people to grow so if that's true I have a question first off actually I'm gonna take a quick tangent what is it what, what needs to happen for someone to grow? So let's take your average, maybe not entry level, but let's say frontline person, whether they're sales or whether they're a copywriter or whether they're a project manager or an account manager or whatever. Someone on the front lines doing the job. If they just do the job, meaning they're not taking extra classes, they're not reading extra books, that when they go home at the end of the day after a good 45, 50-hour work week, they stop thinking about you. They're not reading extra books, they're not looking at websites, Trying. To, they're not practicing anything, they're not training on anything. They're just doing what they're told to do. They're doing their job. And they may be doing an excellent job. But the question I have is, if that person does their job, are they growing? Are they growing as you want them to? Or is the assumption that anybody who grows is someone who does something extra? Takes a class, reads a book, uh, gets a mentor, gets coaching. Um, goes to a conference, Is, is growth happening through extra? Because I think that's necessary to understand because when we hire people to do a job, are we expecting them to grow? Or is the concept of growth kind of an ancillary benefit or an unusual find, right? Is that a bonus? So someone like me who's absolutely insane about the things they do. So right now, and for the last number of years, I've been dedicated to thinking and talking and, and doing recruitment marketing employer brand. No one's paying me for this wonderful, fine, high-quality podcast, right? Um, you're not. Trust me. I, I, I've checked your credit card bill. You've not paid me any money, uh, and nor have I asked for any. Just leave me a review. Anyway, um, I do this on the side. This is how I kill a good hour on the weekend and writing the tweets that tell people about this podcast and maintaining the website and, um, you know, responding to people on LinkedIn. This is something I do outside of my day job, outside of quote-unquote office hours. I read books about the subject. I listen to podcasts on the bus rides in and out. I do this on the side. I do this as extra stuff because I'm kind of a weird guy. I get really super obsessed with the thing I'm doing and which, like I said, is is employer brand recruitment marketing. Now, as my manager, you might see that as a good thing, and I hope my manager thinks that's a good thing. However, I get the sense that I'm the outlier in this case, that most people do not become obsessed with the thing they do for a living. Most people have hobbies, and my hobby is what I'm, you're listening to right now. Yes, I'm literally sitting two feet away from my drums, and I love to play drums, but I don't get to do that very often, and that may be called my hobby, and maybe the Netflix is my hobby. But beyond that, I've got a family, I've got a job, and I've got this obsession with this thing, and that's pretty much most of my life, right? What if someone has a hobby? What if someone has a new relationship when they're, you know, they're dedicating a lot of time to it? What if they're thinking about going to school for something else. What if they have a family issue, uh, a a parent who needs caring, or a child that needs a lot of care? What if they're doing other things and they're not able to dedicate 60, 70, 80 hours a week to their subject matter expertise, right? What if they're just doing their job? Because I think that's most people. Most people do the job and then they go home. And they're smart about it, presumably. Most people are and they get better over time through sheer repetition, through sheer exposure to different scenarios and context. Think of a plumber. A plumber doesn't, you know, once they've gone through, um, oh God, I'm blanking on the word. What's the process where you, um, it's not an internship, but you are, you know, you're following someone around and you're shadowing them for a year or two. You're, it starts with an A, and I'm literally blanking on what this is. You know what I'm talking about. You go through this process and you watch a master plumber and you work with them side by side for a year or two and then you become a plumber yourself. They, the rest of the plumbers say, yep, you're a qualified plumber and you do it. Now, if you're just out of that process, you're a good plumber, but you don't have all the expertise because you don't have all the experience. And if you just said without going to more classes or doing more things, simply by virtue of being in the plumbing field, you're going to learn more and grow. Is that true everywhere? Are your copywriters becoming better at stuff simply by the act of doing the job? let Let me rephrase it in a way. Is doing the job enough to grow or do people need to do extra? That's the question I have because in the end, we should be expecting people to grow. As we remember in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, the easy jobs, the rote jobs are gone. They're gone, right? They're just gone. You need someone to transcribe that, computer will do that. Or a person or a series of people in a con- country far, far, far away paid pennies on the dollar will do it for you. Wrote processing, wrote filing. Computer software does amazing things. You've got, it will write articles for you. It will write your job descriptions for you. It will write, I just saw a tool that will write your resume for you. So all the easy jobs are going away or are gone. Right? If you're a cashier at a grocery store, do you look at the self-serve cash register and go, well, that's great, or do you go, that's great, There goes my job? They're going away. There are no such things as entry-level jobs to a certain extent. So if you don't take a job, or if, so if all the easier jobs are going away, and you're forced to do jobs that are complicated, do we assume that those people are going to grow, and do we plan around that concept? do we say unlike the chess pieces that never change that your staff will grow because it's very easy to say you know what? I'm going to hire for the skill set. I have a job and it requires someone to write for me 40 hours a day. So I'm going to hire someone who writes and I'm going to judge them on their ability to write because I know if they can do the skill I'm hiring, for, hiring them for, they will immediately start to drive value. There won't be nearly as much kind of learning curve. Yes, they're going to have to learn about my company and the industry and our clients or what have you, but they already know how to write so they're already bringing those skills to bear. Beyond that, maybe you can even take it a step further. Let's say it's um, uh, uh, medical writing or technical writing, and you can hire a medical writer or a technical writer. They're bringing even more skills very specialized to who you are. Yes, much smaller learning curve, learning the client, learning the, the um, you know their, your particular instances, but in the end, they're the expert. They're bringing expertise. You can hire the expertise. The learning curve is super short. However, hiring a writer for a role as a technical writer or a medical writer because maybe they know something about medicine or they know maybe they know something about that kind of structured methodology and teaching them to grow and as, because they bring some other skill set like the ability to project manage or the ability to collect uh, client needs or the ability to uh, persuade or manage stakeholders, something like that. Maybe they bring some other skill set. That's a much higher learning curve. That's a much more expensive process to hire that person. Look at job descriptions. How many of your job descriptions list skills required, and how many focus on traits or attributes that a person should have? Now, as I see it, the line is starting to shift that we're talking less about must-know Photoshop, must-know Java, must-know this, must-know that, but they're expected to be agile, they're expected to be creative, they're expected to uh, work in a dynamic environment. How many times have you seen that, right? Uh, I worked with someone about a job description for a developer, a a mid-level developer, and the expectation was the job needed to code in Java and JavaScript. No I don't pretend that they're the same, I know that they're very, very radically different things. However, former job description says, must know JavaScript, must know Java. End of conversation. And I was talking to a head of product or a head of development, and they said, you know what the truth is, learning one language, once you've learned it and mastered it, learning the second one is super easy. You just learn some uh, changes of structure and changes of syntax and a little bit of rules, and away you go. So it's not so much that I need an expert in Java or JavaScript. What I really need is someone who's truly mastered a programming language, not can do it, but has mastered it, meaning has kind of fallen in love with it, has kind of obsessed over it, has kind of figured out all the ins and outs, has really, you know, asked questions of it, beat it up, tested it, see how far they can push it. That's the person who, when you teach them the, the, the programming language I need them to learn, that's the person who's going to be amazing. And that's unusual. I think most people try to hire for the skill instead of hiring for the person because it's It makes sense. And and, and I'm going to tell you, it it makes perfect economic sense to hire the skill set because it's a shorter uh, uh, ramp-up time, a shorter onboarding time. Uh, You know they come with the skills you need. It's presumably skills you don't already have, so they're adding value to the network of people you have already, therefore creating value. That's great. The problem is there's no room for growth. Not really. They can become a slightly better writer or a slightly better developer, but that's over time. That's not a... Person who's dedicated to learning. It's not someone who spends their weekends doing something about it, right? That's a different person. That's a person who you're hiring the person. You're hiring, you're saying, look, this person doesn't know everything and doesn't have every single skill, but they are so obsessed with this idea that we are also obsessed with, we know our needs will align and we will find a way to cover those gaps. That's harder to do. That's mostly because it's hard to justify that to the, you know, your boss. You want to hire this crazy person who's obsessed with whatever you with bicycles, and you're obsessed with with bicycles. Turns out they don't know everything you want them to know, but the fact that they're obsessed with bicycles like you are gives value. They're going to spend their weekends learning engineering or programming or whatever it is you need them to do because they can see it furthers their obsession with bicycles. It's hard to to tell your boss that's what you want to do. Your boss is going to take one look and say, I thought you needed a, a mechanic. I thought you needed an engineer. I thought you needed a writer. I thought you needed a marketer. Why are you bringing this person in? They're not what you said. And you get to have a very uncomfortable conversation. So consequently, most people don't do it. On top of which, it's hard to predict that that obsession with whatever you're obsessed with will align in such a way that they will also want to learn the thing you want them to learn. Maybe they take that obsession with bicycles and turn it into obsession with uh racing which isn't quite where you are i'm I'm making this up as i go along so please bear with me but you get what i'm saying right that just because they're as obsessed with the subject matter as you are doesn't mean they're going to grow in the same way you want them to they're not going to follow your path maybe they decided to hang a right halfway through and say oh that's interesting learning about bikes has also helped me learn about uh you know powered flight man powered flight." or scooters, or what happens if we put an an engine on some of this stuff to shoot for instead of being light and being effective and being efficient, now we're shooting for maximum speed, right? You can't predict that they're going to fall in line with the same things you care about. And consequently, it's much safer to hire the person who knows the thing you want them to know. The problem, of course, is that by the time you hire that person, maybe you don't need that thing anymore. Let's be all of us honest that the world is changing so fast it's terrifying. Has anybody seen the video this week of the robot? Two. There's two, there, two robots. One is like a dog that acts like a dog. It, it, it like shifts its shoulders to really f- examine something. It's, it's creepy. It's crazy. It really, it really looks like, despite having no fur or skin or anything, it's very clearly a piece of plastic and metal. It feels like an animal. It looks like an animal. There's the other one where it's a biped robot, you know, like like people or C3PO, where it can jump on boxes of different heights and then do a standing backflip and maintain its balance the whole way through. Oh wow. Yeah, the future is now, kids. It is now. this is no kidding stuff. I'm telling you, the tool I saw on uh, product hunt that says, hey, uh, we're gonna help you build your own your build resumes for you. Now every resume is gonna sound exactly the same. Uh, the future's now. It's happening. So the skill you need shifts so fast that by the time you hire the person, do you still need it? Will you still need it in three months or six months or 12 months? How long does someone have to stay before they're actively providing value beyond the onboarding process when they weren't pr- uh, providing value but you were still paying for them? At what point does the staffer break even? And is that a short enough window for you to say nothing's going to change? Because stuff always changes. Always. It always changes. It always changes. Your situation changes. The technology changes. The need changes. The customers change. The client changes. Your boss changes. Everything changes. You can't pretend that how the board is today is how the board's going to be tomorrow. You have to know that at any point in time, your little chess pieces might suddenly turn into birds and worms and just do stuff. What are you going to do then? You're over-optimizing on how you think the world is today. You see a clear direct line of 10% growth or 5% growth from here on out. You don't realize. Look at at, um, um, Blockbuster. There had to have been a moment not long ago in which the head of marketing or the CMO or the head of operations presented a chart to the board that says, we have achieved 4% growth year on year on year. This is what it's going to look like for the next 10 years. Not knowing that Netflix has started to put a toehold in that market and said, no, there's a whole other audience beyond that. And by the way, the clock is ticking. You're done. Hey, uh just interrupting myself for just a second just to remind you that because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who have done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I want to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. There's a great Simpsons joke for those of you who watch The Simpsons, or at least I certainly used to. It's been around for Coming on 30 years now, Lord knows. Early on, Disco Stew, a minor character that no one really remembers, has a chart that says, it literally says, sales of disco albums. The chart starts in 1972, and it ends in 1978, and it goes, and if these trends continue, which of course they don't, things change. And so if you look at it and say, oh, year over year over year, by the way, that's far too long a timeline to pretend anything's understandable. Three years ago? Look at three years ago. Do you think the politics and you think the mindset, do you think fake news and... Uh, spam bots and all the other stuff that's taken over the news today was even conceived three years ago maybe in science fiction writers minds but so are lots of things that didn't happen so there's no way of knowing the world keeps changing so if you pretend that you know what next year is going to be and what you're going to need next year you're doing something called over optimizing you are so focused on what you think you need tomorrow that you lose sight and you build on a need for today but not the need you might need tomorrow and when the need for tomorrow shows up you're not for it but if you hire someone who is you hire the person instead of the skill set you have to train the the skill that you need but you're always going to have to train the skill you need the trick with the person where you're hiring the skill you need is that the second you don't need it do you fire them maybe no you more than likely they've committed to your company and you kind of like them and they they seem pretty smart so you're going to teach them how to do the next thing So it turns out that need to change is always going to be there and the need to educate and revamp and refactor who that person is and what they're bringing to the table is always going to change. But we assume we need a skill X, we hire skill X, and we're stunned and surprised when suddenly the need for skill X disappears. Instead, we should be hiring the person, the person who is obsessed with what we're obsessed about, who is dedicated to growth. Who is super comfortable learning new things and that's literally what they do starting day one let's be fair if all the easy jobs are done and there's only hard jobs left and those hard jobs haven't been solved that means all of us every single one of us in the sound of my voice their our professional job is to grow it's not to execute it's not to put stuff out there that's a byproduct of growth. That's a byproduct of learning. That's a byproduct of, gro- of becoming better at what we do, at seeing things from a better perspective, from becoming more flexible in our thought. The real job is to become professional learners. How many of you have must be a professional learner on your job descriptions? I'm going to go with almost none of you because I don't see it. I don't ever see it, and I think we should. Again, the problem is it's hard to justify that. But this is the reality. As the, as the world gets faster and faster and the change gets faster and faster, this is the world we have to plan for, a world in which we have zero clue as to what tomorrow holds. So rather than plan on what's going to happen 6, 12, 18, 24 months from now, you plan on what's going to happen literally tomorrow and hope for the best. Because if you don't over-optimize, let me put it this way, over-optimization means any little change disrupts the pattern. Think of there's a... a, a I think I've talked about this a long time ago. There's a, a video out there about a, you've all seen 3D printing, right? Obviously, it's, it's printing sometimes starch, sometimes plastic, and it just creates and generates this shape uh, as it prints it in an upward direction. Well, what happens if you use concrete on a large-scale format? They have a machine that can literally 3D print a house in a day or two out of concrete, and it's amazing, and everybody's like, oh, wow, it's, you, you can have houses in a day or two exactly how you want. You can have them custom-ordered to which I say, great, now move a window. You can't. It's concrete. Once it's hardened, it's done. (laughs) There's no changing it. You make a little hole and it's going to crack all over the place and leak like a sieve. It's broken. And then you have to spackle over all sorts of things and the house is slightly structurally unsound, and that's a problem. That's over-optimized. That's what it means to be over-optimized. That means so focused on this is the shape I need today, that you build something that effectively can't be changed or if you change it renders the thing so different and so unusable that it's effectively worthless so change disrupts and over overwhelms something over optimized however if you're focused on the trait or the person change can empower it says we know we're going to change so we're going to hire people who are good at change not just absorbing change but leads change. Most people we talk about is, you know, good at change, it means they can absorb the change as it hits them like some sort of leaf on the wind. And I don't think that's good enough. I think your great leaders and your great employees and the and the traits you need to look for are people who make the change. You know that book, Who Moved My Cheese? That sad thing from uh, end of the 20th century that everybody seemed to read because they were terrified because they were of a certain age and the internet was showing up and they didn't understand this digital thing? be the thing that moved the cheese be the thing be the person who says you know what the direction for the company needs to go from desktop to mobile be the person who says you know what we got to go from a product model to a subscription model that's disruption right look at what Microsoft's been doing over the last five years look they moved from a model where everybody bought a computer and it came with a copy of, of Windows and it came with a copy of office for a certain a staggering amount of money, and they just printed cash. And two years later, when they offered a new version, you print it, you spent 100 bucks and you got the upgrade and you you went to uh, Office Depot or, or Best Buy and you bought a copy and you slotted the disk and away you went and you installed the new version and you didn't think about it for two or three more years. till the new version came. And now no such thing as versions. You just make a ver- you know you get a cloud version of Microsoft. And it updates every single day it might be op- updating as we speak and you might not know it until the next time you log in and you go from hey every two years we get a tsunami of cash because everybody upgrades to we're going to normalize that and amortize that such that we get a small ripple of cash every month for the rest of our lives because everybody's going to need the software and thus they're going to go on subscription models going from one to the other is terrifying It's absolutely terrifying. You're giving up huge chunks of cash in the hopes that more cash is coming down the river. The person who can make that happen, that's a leader. That's someone who embraces change, not is okay when that happens to them, but the person who says, you know what, we have to move the the company. We have to change directions, and we have to all be okay with that. From a recruiting model, what happens when your boss stands up in front of a room of people and says, hey, by the way, that job where you're supposed to put a butt in a seat went away. We're moving from a transactional model to a relationship-driven model where I want you to be headhunters effectively. I want you to build relationships and build up networks of people that we can tap as we need. Suddenly, all the skills and the efficiencies of putting a button in a seat and how fast can you schedule an interview and how fast can you push them through the process is gone. Now it's about how big is your network? How well connected are you to that network? How well connected is your network connected to you? Suddenly the job changed. Being the person who stands up and says, this is how we're going to do it now, brave. But that's the job. That is the world we live in. The myth of quality is that we hire the skill. And the true skills are the people who know how to surf the change and create the change as it goes. To understand how to align with an ever-shifting, ever-changing landscape of needs, skills, people, companies, countries, and say, this is where we're going and I know how to make it happen. That's the problem. So when you say you're hiring quality and everybody says they want a higher quality, what happens is they tend to throw good people out, saying, well, they weren't great quality. No, it means you needed someone who knew how to write JavaScript and they kind of knew JavaScript, but they knew seven other programming languages. You just couldn't see how quickly they could ramp up to JavaScript and the seven other languages they would bring to them and the value that would bring. You went for the expert in JavaScript, thinking you needed a javascript no you don't you need someone who knows how to think in systems and think in languages so that they can integrate your javascript or whatever with whatever's coming down the pipe that's quality you need something here's a good metaphor i just thought up so i i'm terrified of where this is going the human body needs skin cells and heart cells and brain cells and bone cells and liver cells and vein cells, right? Veins have cells, right? I'm presuming. I'm not a biology major. And everybody knows there's this magical thing called a stem cell, which is a cell cell that can become other cells as needed. That's who you need to hire. Now, by itself, a stem cell has no value until it's glued up next to something that you want to grow. You have a whole bunch of stem cells. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't create a person. It doesn't breathe. It doesn't transmit oxygen. It doesn't flow energy. It's just cells Put them next to a heart, they make the heart stronger. Put them next to a brain, it might cure uh, Alzheimer's or it might cure uh, other brain disease, degenerative brain diseases. Put them next to a spine, it might cure someone's paralysis. You need to hire stem cells. You don't need to hire people who are specialists. You need to say, look, the people around me are already specialists. I don't need more of the same. I need someone who can bring something new to the table, who can be flexible enough to become the heart cell today but next year when I need it to become the liver cell and the year after that to become the uh, spinal cell, spinal fluid cell. I don't know. Again, not a doctor. (laughs) But that's who you need to hire. That's what quality is. But we measure quality as a function of skills rather than as a function of attributes and motivations and drive. That's what I would ask you to think about. When you say you want quality, what do you really want? Do you really just want 14 pounds of skill set that you might not need tomorrow? Or do you need someone who knows how to put that together quickly, who can ramp up quickly, who can grow quickly, who can turn from a stem cell into a heart cell like that? That's quality. And as the world changes, that's the kind of quality you're going to want to surround yourself with. And that means a different level of evaluation, a different means of understanding what they're good at, a different way. It means investing more in training and management because that manager is go- who's going to man- manage all those stem cells. They're not going to be about, well, you already know how to do your job, I'm just going to oversee it. Now you have to teach them how to do things or you have to manage their growth because that's what people are going to look for. When I look for a job, I look for a place where I am challenged so I can grow. And I think. I'm not gonna be special there. I think that's how the best people are going to be. Not that I'm claiming to be the best at anything, but I think the best employees you want are the people who want to grow, who are actively going to grow, and that's what quality is, you know, for my book. So anyway, I went from chess pieces to stem cells in a matter of 32 minutes. I can't believe it myself. Thanks so much for listening. As always, uh, give us a review. Otherwise, check out the show notes to see where you can see me. I got some blog posts in the pipeline somewhere. Um, And, yeah, so uh, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Next week is Thanksgiving, but I will be publishing, so uh, maybe a shortened version. We'll see how the holiday works out, but that's for North America people. You in Canada and or Europe or other places, Singapore. Hey, how you doing? Um, Among others. You don't know what Thanksgiving is, and that's fine. Don't worry about it. I'll be around. So thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next week. Bye.